0: All right, uh, if I can ask that you please take your seats um, as we are about to hear the word of God. I believe it is Philip Chan who will be reading us. Luke 2, 1 to verse 20. This is 1 to 20.
1: In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria.
0: That was a long passage, but a good one, and Phil Chan read it very well. I like his plants. Maybe you like his plants too. Uh, what brings you joy? For Phil, it's his plants, but how about you? What, what brings you joy? And I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is a great thing, but you might have a happy day, and then a sad day, or a less happy day. Joy is disruptive. Joy is something deeper. You might have you know, the monotony of life that you're going on, or It's a hard time and there's conflict, but then joy, joy hits you. It's usually a a life event, isn't it? A marriage, graduation, that job offer of that job you really wanted. Maybe it's the birth of a child. What is joy? What is your moment of joy? Think about that right now. That moment that just hits you like a wave of warmth, right? Like seeing the sun rise in the morning, just as it peaks over the horizon, that sense of, you know what? It was good back then in the past. It's going to be good. That's, that's joy. A little bit of hope there too. That is joy. And Luke 2, 1 to 20, this whole passage is about this disruptive sense of joy. It's disruptive. What do I mean by that? Well, first off, this is the nativity scene as we know it. And I think many of us kind of romanticize what's going on. We picture the little figurines with Mary and Joseph, and little baby Jesus is so cute, with the tiny little animals are so clean. But the reality is, it's far, far, far from that. The reality for Mary and Joseph is that this was pure chaos. A completely disruptive event in their, lo- in their lives. Yet, yet despite the chaos, they found the greatest joy. And so that is today's bottom line. When you leave this place, you need to consider this. You can find joy where? In the worst of circumstances, because it is where God reveals himself. I'll say that again. You can find joy in the worst of circumstances, because that is where God reveals himself. And so as we look at the passage and we consider this, we're going to ask three questions From Luke 2, 1 to 20. One, who is Christ? Two, how did he come? And three, how do we respond? So, who is Christ? How did he come? How do we respond? And before we dig into this, I want to paint the picture a little bit. What's the context? What's setting the scene? Verse 1 to 7 sets the scene, it shows us exactly what is going on about that chaos that I told you about. Mary, Joseph, they're forced to do a census. If you're from Ontario, remember we recently did a census, I think it's, is it a Canadian thing? I think it's a Canadian thing. Did you know it's a crime to not do the census? Did you know that? And so there are a couple of criminals, I bet you, in this room right now. Not me though, because my wife did ours, I would be. Um, for, for folks back then, in, in a Jewish context, what was going on exactly? Caesar Augustus was part of the Roman Empire, right? You can hear it, you remember who he is. And in this Roman Empire, they ruled the West. They ruled the Jews. And and for them to do a census, this wasn't just a a nice survey, you check out, send it to a forum. You had to travel back to your village of your people. Whatever your heritage is, you had to go all the way back. And then you can do your census, and, and more than just a criminal and a fine, there are way worse consequences for those who do, sorry, who do not finish this census. And so you're married, okay, you're married, you're pregnant before marriage, you're already dealing with, you know, the, the consequences of, of gossip and people talking about how, how is she pregnant? We know that's not her wedding day, that's, they're doing the math. She, she feels that, and then now you're in your last trimester of pregnancy. You're, you're, ready. you're ready to give birth to the child. It may be even hard to walk. And you're at your house, and you're, you're comfortable. You got your nursery set up. Joseph's just building the crib. You have your birth plan, right? You know how to get to the hospital, what to do, what song you want to play for your baby, right, when they come. I remember my, my daughter Nora and Paula, when Nora came to this world, uh, Paula and I, we packed a big bag of just random crap if i can say that. And it, it, all kinds of things. There was a micro USB battery operated fan because that's clearly what you need and i forgot the bluetooth speaker. <laughs> how can i forget the bluetooth speaker? The blue How is our kid going to come into this world without us playing, you know, the baby's favorite Coldplay song, right? Even though the baby's never heard Coldplay. Here's the thing. I thought that was disruption, but the reality is this. Joseph and Mary, that was disruption. They had to travel 100 kilometers by foot and by camel or donkey to this town called Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because Joseph, in his bloodline, his his village goes all the way back to Bethlehem. And so it's 100 kilometers away, you're tired, you're pregnant, your feet hurt, your whole body hurts, and now you're in this home it says in. some people think it's an inn, but the reality is it's home. Remember, he's going back to his village, so most likely it was family members that he's going to. And they go into this home and it's packed, right? It's a census, so everybody has to go back, it's packed. And, he, and she doesn't have space, she barely has space to deliver this child. Now, how would you feel if everything you planned, whew, out the window? How would you feel, how would you feel as a mother, that you can't even have space to deliver your child, let alone the son of God. How would you feel as Joseph? What kind of man are you that you can't even do better than this random room with animal droppings that smells bad and it's dirty? You feel bad, right? Like a bad parent, like a bad mother. See, even amongst this chaos, they would find the greatest joy. So where, how they find this joy and who Christ is. And so that's the first question we're going to answer. Who is Christ? And if you have your Bibles open, verse 11 says this about Christ. It says that Christ is the true king because, tr- because Christ is the God king. Okay? Christ is the God king. I'm about to read this verse, verse 11 and 12 of Luke 2. And I want you to see if you can catch the three words the three words that tell us who Christ is. So listen as I read this or read it, catch these three words. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, the context is this. They're a bunch of shepherds. They're minding their own business. They're watching over the flock, probably sleeping at night. And then, boom, an angelic encounter, something far beyond anything we can imagine literally out of this world these angels come before the shepherd shepherds and and this divine proclamation of who christ is is told to them what is this divine proclamation it's three things savior right a savior christ the lord savior meaning you know we get the root word salvation the bringer of salvation or should i say salvation himself christ It's the idea of the anointed one of God. It's the same word as an anointing oil that for healing, for a sign of blessing, Lord. Now, this is a unique one. Lord, what that means, it's the same term used to reference God himself of the Old Testament and also God that we know as the the Father God. So that's interesting. Like, what exactly is going on? See, these three words, if you were Jewish, Back in the time of Mary and Joseph, when you heard these words, Savior, Christ, Lord, it would immediately light up a light bulb in your head. Two king connections here. Two king connections that you would immediately come to knowledge if you were them. First off, the Davidic connection. The, ki- the, the connection to King David. So, who is King David? David was the greatest Jewish king. There was none greater than him. He's described as having a heart uh, heart after God's own heart. That's how much he was just such a great man, but he failed miserably, right? If you look at the Old Testament, it's a story of failure, and so did David fail. And guess what happened when he failed? God would still come to him and promise him that someone in his lineage would still be, still be king. Someone in his lineage would still be the eternal king. And so this was years, years past, and you're Mary, and you're Joseph, and you're, you're Jewish, and there's this idea of this king that will come. In the temples, when you're listening to the teachers, your parents, your grandparents, they're all telling you, there's a king that will come. Remember, what's the context? They're in a Roman oppression. Jews don't have a king anymore. They wish they did, because they could be free to worship as they want, but they have no king. But Savior Christ The Lord comes right to your head. This is the king. This is it. This is the Davidic king. So that's our first king connection. Our second king connection is Caesar Augustus. We saw those words at the beginning of verse 1. Remember that. So what's fascinating about these three words is these three words are used as um, in propaganda. Roman propaganda as they would do decrees of Augustus Caesar. What words would they use? Savior. Son of God. Oh, that sounds familiar. The anointed one. That's the other light bulb right there. You see, what these angels are probably doing is saying, you know what? In this Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus may by his own people be claimed these things, but guess what? This heavenly proclamation, this divine source is saying that Jesus is Savior Christ the Lord. See, this is who Christ is. And here's the thing. Christ is very different than any other king. Different than David. Different than even Augustus, Caesar Augustus. Why? What did I say was the, that special word? It's the last one, Lord. Christ is also Lord. Christ the Lord. Christ is God himself. This is the God, King, Christ. This is an incredibly unique combination that Jesus is both at the same time. Why is that so important? Michael McKelvey, um, a scholar, would say, the best of men is men at best. I'll say that again because it's a bit of an interesting one. The best of men is men at best. You see, as humans, we have our limitations. We assume that we have all the solutions to our world problems of economics and politics and the environment, but the reality is this. How is it that in each one we're still the problem? How is it that in every single model, whether it's capitalism and you have your giant income gaps and and poverty to socialism, which doesn't appear to work ever in history, why is it that humans are always the problem if you've ever voted in your life? You kind of have to sometimes play the game of the lesser of two evils. Have you ever played that game? You know, it's interesting, because that, that was actually uh, coined by Aristotle. This is not a new concept in our humanity. We're talking to thousands and thousands of years of people thinking this way. And if we're picking between the lesser of two evils, what does that say about man? What does that say about our, our human problem, our desire for a solution, but we just can't? get there. See, this is why, this is why we need the God King. This is why we need someone who is God, who is perfect, incorruptible, wisdom himself. We need Christ to save us from who? From ourselves. And so when everybody expected the kingdom of man through some political warrior who's powerful, it would be a heavenly kingdom of God that would be revealed. And so in the most unexpected circumstance, no one could have guessed this. This is where we see God revealing himself, revealing Christ as the God King. So who is Christ, the God King? So how did he come? How did he come? Our second question. Verse 12, as I read this, this is what this verse is telling us. It's emphasizing the contrast. It's trying to tell us that Christ was born. Christ was born as a baby. And so as I read these two passages again, verse 11 and 12 of this holy proclamation, think of the contrast. Catch it. See if you can see the difference between verse 11 and verse 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. You see, the whole point of this passage is that. Verse 12, you're going to find a baby in swaddling cloths in a manger. And see, this is not just this one verse. Luke, the writer of this, repeats this. Verse 6 to 7, if you're looking at it, baby born, baby born. Verse 11, that we just read, baby born. Verse 16, baby born. He's trying to put it in our heads that Christ was born as a man. Christ was born as you and me with our flesh and our blood. He's not just some concept or some spiritual idea. He was human, like any of us are here. And so this God-king would come to this world as a defenseless, vulnerable, practically useless baby of bone and skins. What? This, This is how the kingdom of God is gonna come, a baby? I mean, who expects that? A baby, imagine you're God and you have complete freedom to do what you want without restriction to create and, and build the world. Why? Why come into this little backwater town of Bethlehem that no one knows about, that nothing, it's described as nothing good coming out of Bethlehem. How is it and why would God come as a baby that needs to be fed, right? Right? every two or three hours. If the baby has jaundice, that's every two hours I've been there. That a baby needs to have a diaper changed? That a baby needs to depend on the mom for breast milk? Why? Why would God choose to come to this world through birth? Why through birth? You see, our modern comforts and the blessings, the common blessings of medical science, which is a blessing that God has given us I think it's made us forget how awful giving birth really actually is. In the last 100 years, we've seen infant mortality rates from some places in the world go from 60 percent, that's more than one in two children in, in, in infant mortality, one in two, more than one in two, to, to now 0.7 percent in Canada in only 100 years. Of, of, think about history. What a dramatic change of events and how we we completely have no idea what exactly is going through the thought of Mary. You see, the violence of childbirth is actually a part of the curse that we see in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are disobedient, and because of disobedience, there's a curse placed upon them. It's a consequence for their sin. And guess what it says? There will be pain in childbirth. That is a part of the curse. You see, my Nora, my, my daughter Nora, yeah, my Nora, when she was delivered, I wish I could tell you that it was smooth, that it was a smooth delivery. It wasn't. It was honestly um, quite violent and pretty hard. Um, even my wife and I, when we uh, reflect on it, it still hits us. Because during that, we learned afterwards that her umbilical cord was short, very short. And when an umbilical cord is short, it increases the chance of uh, infant mortality by, by, I think, more than double. And just, man, just the thought of losing my kid—you know—it hurts to this day. And to some, it's a reality. And I'm sorry, but this is the reality we we live in right now—that childbirth is is part of this curse. Why would God choose? Come this way. Why would God choose to come in this manner? It's it's because of this. By a curse he comes, and by a curse he goes. He takes the curse of becoming a human. So what? So then he can take the curse of humanity on himself. (laughs) That sounds like a pithy comment. What does that even mean? This is what I'm trying to tell you: is when we sin. When am going to do the, th- the things that we, we are guilty of. We feel that guilt and shame, and we hide these things. You know why we feel that guilt? Because we know it's wrong. And the reality of when we sin is that it's not just other people that we sin against. We're sinning against God and His law. And just like a crime, when you commit a crime, there is punishment. That punishment is what Christ takes On himself. As he comes as a curse, he takes that curse onto him, onto the cross, onto death. This is what the gospel is about. Romans 5 verse 8 says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so in him we would become the righteousness of God. See, this is how Christ is different than any other king. Because what king can you think of could even take your punishment, let alone any eternal punishment unto himself. And think about this, in the very way he came, does it not sound like the very way he left alone in some little backwater town that no one knows of without real close family around? It's just you, Mary, Joseph, and, and baby Jesus all alone to Christ being alone on the cross, abandoned by those whom he loved betrayed. It was agonizing. The the slow hours of, of, of Mary pushing and the contractions that she was feeling, and they didn't have any medical aid. They didn't have any anesthetics. Hours, hours of pushing and the pain and the slow, agonizing death of Christ on the cross as He took His last breaths, as He suffocated under His own weight. Vulnerable, like a little baby that comes to this world, fragile, weak, naked, exposed. Christ was vulnerable on the cross, most likely naked, exposed to this world in shame and humility. Martin Luther, the reformer, noted this. It's fascinating, he says, that there's this idea of the swaddling cloth that Luke uses to describe how the baby, His sign is the baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. That same word, literally, swaddling cloth is used to describe the same cloth that wraps Christ in the tomb in His death. See, this is how Christ came, as a curse, so that He would be a curse for us in terms of Him him taking our curse. And so we've looked at who Christ is as the God King. We've taken a look at how He came, born as the baby. Now, how do we respond? How do we respond to these things? Verse 18 shows us how we are to respond. And as I'm about to read verse 18, let's see if you can catch it. It's to treasure and ponder Christ, to treasure and ponder Christ. And remember, let me bring you back to the context. You're Mary. you're exhausted. You've given birth to this child in this strange place what's her response? Verse 18, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. That's a short passage. I'll read it again. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. You've given birth. You're tired, probably trying to sleep, and boom, right through the door are these shepherds. Shepherds, what did they look like? They look like probably homeless people rags they were outdoors all the time with animals how clean can you really stay you're not taking a shower every day and they come here joyous they're celebrating they're so happy and they're telling you this divine proclamation a savior christ the lord see the shepherds in this time for mary and joseph they were the bottom of the rung in terms of cultural hierarchy There's actually rabbinic uh, writings that describe how they were on the level of prostitutes and tax collectors. You know why? Because they were known as bandits. In the middle of night, shepherds would often just rob people. And then in their collective witness, they're like, nope, the guy tripped over. We just took his bag. They They were, even in the court of law, their witness meant nothing. Can you imagine that? In their court of law. And so Why? Why is it that this divine proclamation would come from shepherds? How does that even, what does that even mean for the credibility? This is the worst PR campaign in history if you're going to tell me that this is the biggest deal, the greatest joy. Howard Marshall and other scholars says this, because the point is that God extends his favor to people who have done nothing to deserve it. I'll repeat that again. God extends his favor to people who have done nothing to deserve it. Shepherds have done nothing to deserve it, yet God would extend his favor to them. And so you're Mary and you're hearing this from these random shepherds that you probably don't even know, and what does she do? In her exhaustion, in her tiredness, she does two things. She treasures this news, and then she ponders it. She thinks about it deep in her heart. See, even in these terrible circumstances of the chaos that she is experiencing, her response, joy. See, in incredible, difficult circumstances, she saw that Christ, Christ is here. The angels were right, and this this isn't just her son, this is the savior of the world, savior, Christ the Lord, who has rescued her and will rescue her from the brokenness of this world, from childbirth, from the pain. From This is hope amidst suffering. This is light among darkness. This is who Christ is. And we see suffering in the news, don't we? Literally every single day, we hear about those who are sick and the cases rising and the death tolls. This is a reality of every single day. Well, guess what? The beauty is that Christ will save us from this. And as much as we anticipate in this season the, the birth of Christ, right? We can anticipate Christ's return when all of this will be dealt with, that there's no coronavirus, there's, there's none of this, there's no death. And when we have this faith in Christ, in what he has done and who he is, it transforms us. It changes our heart, just like how Mary pondered it in her heart, treasured it in her heart. It changes you. So I have to ask you if you're visiting, I'm so happy you're here. If you're tuning in online, I'm so happy. But if you only do this during Christmas and Easter, and it's more about tradition, about the cute nativity scene, do you treasure Christ? The Greek word about this treasure is the idea of preserving, protecting. It's something of significant value that Mary treasures. Do you treasure Christ? Will this impact who you are existentially and change your day to day? If you are a Christian and you're reading these words, let's think about this. What does that mean for us? Look at the word ponder for just a moment. See, that's a verb that's active, right? It's something she's doing, something that she continues to do. One of the announcements was about the Omnicron variant. We don't even know what's going to happen next week in this terrible circumstance. Will you ponder? Will you think of Christ? Will you find joy in Christ that he will save us from this one day? At our church right now, Let's be honest, it's a bit of a mess, not a bit. There is tension, there is conflict, there is strife. Will you ponder Christ. We find joy in Christ that even in this worst of circumstances and the strangeness of it all, that we can find joy in Christ, that this will cease and point each other, we need it. Church is a corporate thing we do. We need to point each other to ponder Christ because it's in these kinds of circumstances, the most difficult ones, the hardest ones, the unlikely ones that God reveals Himself. So you, will you remember this? The gospel is about God extending Himself to people who have done nothing to deserve it. Find joy in Christ treasure, ponder Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you, Lord, as people who fail often. We come before you as people who tend to turn away from it, yet know our guilt and our shame. God, remind us of who Christ is. Remind us, Lord, of who he is, how he came. And remind us of how we are to respond, Lord. Help us to treasure. Help us to ponder of who Christ is. We thank you, Lord, that Christ came. We thank you, Lord, that we were not left of our own devices, seeking solutions in ourselves that we will never find but Lord, you give us Christ. Thank you, Lord. Help us to find joy.
1: In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.